The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Saturday, April 29th, 2023. I have a pilot for you. His name is Rios. And he'll be in touch. Hey everybody, this is your host, Peter, with the 43rd Digest of the second volume, covering Monday, April 24th through Friday, April 28th, 2023. Marvel Saga Monday, Part 22, taking a look at the official history of the Marvel Universe, issue number 22, with cover art by John Romita, with inks by Joe Sinnott, and then the back cover is Keith Pollard, with Jose Marzan Jr. On the front cover, we are looking at Mary Jane Watson, looking at her face as Spider-Man is putting a ring on her finger, and she's exclaiming, Face it, Tiger, I just hit the jackpot. And then the back cover, you have uh, images of Mary Jane, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, just a whole bunch of their adventures throughout their comic book history, uh, surrounding the main image of Peter and MJ looking into each other's eyes. Um, you can you can make out that they are not exactly like looking at each other lovingly, or maybe Peter is to her, but she has sort of this conflicted look on her face, which, as you read this saga, you know, you really see that that has been their relationship since the beginning. It's been it's been on again and off again, and I think that's what they're really trying to capture there. When I looked at the back issue or back cover, my first thought was, why is Mary Jane so short? I mean, she's supposed to be a model, right? She's supposed to be gorgeous. She's supposed to be uh, larger than life and an actress. And I I just always assumed she would be tall or taller. So I went to the official handbooks of the Marvel Universe. Peter Parker is listed as being only five foot ten, but Mary Jane is listed as being five foot eight, which is on the taller side for women, but not like super, super tall. And uh, yeah, I guess I was kind of surprised by that. Anyway, this issue, your writer and researcher, is Peter David, not Peter Sanderson. And apparently Sanderson had no idea that this was even a thing, that there was an issue of Marvel Saga that he did not write. When I read an interview with him uh, years later, decades later, he seemed to not have any memory or recollection that there was an issue that he hadn't done. Um... Perhaps because we have a new editor for Marvel Saga with uh, Adam S. Blaustein with this issue, even though Danny Fingeroff is still listed as a consulting editor, maybe that was a directive or maybe he was tasked to do this issue. Maybe uh, maybe it was something that was kind of thrown at him and, and they said, look, we have this wedding issue coming up with the annual over at, over in Amazing Spider-Man, and we want to get as much promotion out of this as we can. Uh, so let's do a Marvel Saga-style look at the relationship between Peter Parker and Mary Jane, and that's what this issue is. So you can probably imagine that while the main Marvel Saga narrative is being worked on, 
you know, maybe they said, look, we don't want to interrupt that. So let's give this to somebody else. And they gave it to Peter David. On the inside cover, there's an editorial by Stan Lee. Although I don't know if this was written exclusively for the saga or maybe it showed up somewhere else. Talking about how the creation of MJ was really just to throw her in the mix to stir things up, to have some fun with her. She was meant to be an incidental character, but then she quickly grew to overshadow Gwen Stacy because of her personality, and try as he might, Stan Lee just couldn't give Gwen Stacy the same kind of personality. Um, Once they started to do the Spider-Man newspaper strips, uh, that's when Stan Lee said, okay, we're going to give Mary Jane as a girlfriend for Peter Parker in the strips. And then when it came time for them to be married, Stan Lee said, well, let's do it across everything. Let's do it in the comics and in the strips at the same time. And also, apparently, in Marvel Saga 22, which came out the same week as the wedding issue of Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 21. The stories in this issue are taken from so many Amazing Spider-Man comics. Amazing Spider-Man 15, 25, 31, 41 through 45, 47, 59, 60, 62, 64, 68, 96, 121, 122, 131, 136, 143, 147, 149, 150, 156, 162, 165, 170, 182, 183, 226, 242, 244, 246, 257, 259, 261, 290, and annual 19. If you are an Amazing Spider-Man reader, maybe some of those numbers mean something to you. Also, uh, some stories from Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man 88 and Spider-Man vs. Wolverine number 1. Right away when I saw that many issues listed, I thought, hmm, this is probably going to wind up being very jumpy. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that at the end. So this is uh, Marvel Saga, book 22. There is no title, but we just have on the splash page, Peter Parker saying to MJ, will you marry me? And this page one is a recreation of the cliffhanger to Amazing Spider-Man 290, which was by John Romita Jr., Vince Coletta, and David Michelinie, where Peter is asking Mary Jane to marry him um, a few issues before that wedding annual, I believe. The saga states here on this first page, it represented a it represented a turning point for Peter and a complete shock for Mary Jane that he asked her. It was the logical climax of the most fascinating on-again, off-again romance in the Marvel saga. Now, not actually in the saga itself, because in the ongoing narrative that Peter Sanderson is writing, we have yet to see Peter Parker and Mary Jane meeting for the first time. We saw Mary Jane's introduction. We had not, we didn't see her face just yet. So this issue is going to take care of all of that. Um, Pages, oh, and with the saga recreating this splash page and also the very last page, that is now the shortest distance 
that uh, a, uh, that a comic uh, or that the saga reflects in terms of Marvel history, right? I mean, literally showing pages from comics that are only a few months old, whereas most of the time, uh, you know, those pages are, you know, decades old or maybe just, uh, you know, six months or something like that. Pages two through four, we see Aunt May setting Peter up with her neighbor's niece. That turns out to be MJ. We've seen this scene before. Um, and we saw this next scene as well, where Betty Brant and Liz Allen meet MJ. They are the ones who meet her before Peter. It's funny how the emphasis on the Parker luck when it comes to love um it's always very negative, right? And they do that throughout the issue. But when you think about it, he has Betty and Liz, and they clearly like Peter, and they're very cold to each other when they go to visit his home. And, you know, not only does he have those two, but then he's going to have Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane and the Black Cat. It's not really his luck that is bad. It's just that he has this overwhelming sense of responsibility as Spider-Man that he can't allow anything else for himself, right? He's mad lucky when it comes to love. It's just he he has, you know, it's a comic book. It's a soap opera. Of course he has to push all of that away. Pages four through six, we finally see Peter meeting MJ with the classic panel of Face It Tiger, You Just Hit the Jackpot. You gotta love Mary Jane's slang throughout all of this issue. For instance, here she says, I never thought a tiger who wore his hair so short could be so dreamy. And you've got a bouncing bike, too. Dad, you're the end. We learn that she wants to be an actress. She's attracted to Peter from the start. Again, you know, makes me think, really? Does he really have bad luck? Um... Their first meet gets inter interrupted by the rhino. Of course, Peter has to go take care of that. And then Mary Jane winds up being one of the bystanders. bystanders. She thinks Spider-Man is the dreamiest. And when Peter comes up with an excuse as to why he wasn't around, he says that he was off taking pictures from a high building. And she says, pretty clever, Dad. Shall we ride, Clyde? Oh boy, her lingo. Uh, page seven, Mary Jane meets Peter's friends, Flash Thompson, Harry Osborn. The saga tells us, and we will see this later, that she would wind up dating every man at the table at one time or another. Pages eight through 14 is pretty much just a back and forth between Mary Jane chasing Peter Gwen and Peter being together, but Peter thinking about Mary Jane. There's a moment where MJ cut her hair uh, to this short, curly look. I've, I never saw that before, and eventually, uh, uh, evidently it didn't stick around for a long time. Eventually, we get to the death of Gwen Stacy, which we saw before, and how that brought about changes for all of the characters. MJ is totally into Peter in these early stories, which, uh, I guess, you know, again, I'm not a big Spider-Man reader at this time. So it was fun to see that. It's also interesting to see how different Gwen comes across in these stories before she's killed, as opposed to how she's depicted after her death. 
for instance, on page eight of the saga, when you're looking at Gwen Stacy and she's all kind of dressed up, it almost looks like she's like, I don't know, Emma Frost more than Gwen Stacy. And yet uh, the way they depict her post-death, it's always like they have to keep her in a similar look to when uh, when she was killed, you know, like the jacket, the short skirt, the the high boots, the, the headband, and they just kind of riff on that. But when you look at her in earlier stories, that's not always the look that she has. So that was a fun thing to learn while I was reading this issue. Pages 15 through 21, MJ and Peter are still on again, off again, leading up to the first time Peter asks her to marry him. And we see how Aunt May was often the one trying to put them back together. We see some Gil Kane art, which is always lovely. We see how so many of the scenes between Mary Jane and Peter end with one of them shutting a door, almost to hide what is happening from the readers or for dramatic effect, or to put a button on on their conversation. Maybe they were being flirty, and then the last uh, image is of the door clo- closing, so we don't see what's going to happen. Um, pages 22 through 24, we get uh, Peter's life when MJ is gone. She decides to travel to Europe, I think. And he starts up romances with the black cat and a model named Amy Powell, only for Mary Jane to return once more to add to the mix. This is about where I started to read Amazing Spider-Man and Peter Parker, the the Spectacular Spider-Man, when he was dating Black Cat. I remember the story where she gains powers from the Kingpin uh, when... She was at a point where she was more in love with Spider-Man in the mask than Peter Parker outside of the mask. And then there is a shot of Peter daydreaming about what a life with Black Cat would look like, if, especially if they had a family and they have children and a dog and some of them are dressed up like Spider-Man and some of them are dressed up like Black Cat. Pages 25 through 28 more Spider-Man comics that I read as a kid with a, a lot of like Ron Friends artwork. The introduction of Puma during the time when Peter was wearing his black symbiote suit right after Secret Wars. And how this battle with Puma leads to Mary Jane finally revealing that she knows that Peter is Spider-Man and that she's known for a while We get some backstory to her origin prior to meeting Peter Parker and the two of them agreeing to take things one day at a time. I think these stories were somewhere around like mm, 84, 85 pages, 28 through 31. The saga finally wraps things up. We get Mary Jane getting involved during the Hobgoblin affair Uh, Mary Jane paying for Peter's apartment when he was about to be evicted, Peter breaking their rules and kissing her in a moment of passion, leading to page 32, a splash page of their wedding ceremony that is similar but not exact to the final page of the wedding issue in Amazing Spider-Man Annual 21. I don't know who did the recreation, but when you look at them side by side, they are not quite the same, uh, even though the composition is very similar. 
And then the saga closes out with a postscript on the inside back cover from Jim Shooter, sharing how even though we may all want to be like Flash Thompson, we're probably more like Peter Parker than we care to admit. And eventually... Peter recognizing, like I talked about earlier, that it's okay to have something in his life that is his, not Spider-Man's. So all in all, this is an odd issue. It's very jumpy. So when I was rattling off all those issue numbers, you can see how they used them. They just used them for like one panel here, one panel there. And while the saga narrative that Peter David is writing might read um, might read well if you read it all together, reading the panels and not the and not the narrative does not help this issue. It's very it's similar and yet different from the way Peter Sanderson puts it all together. Um, the reprinted art is very selective. Uh, you don't get a lot of connectivity and honestly, I, I mean, I did learn some things, but I feel like they could have done, um, a better job at, at really showing us the different moments or the different eras, um, of their relationship. So it works, it works. And I can see if like, you're somebody who was a Spider-Man reader you might flip this through this issue and it's like a highlight of their relationship. And you're like, oh, cool, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that. Um, as a companion to the annual, sure, I guess it works. Um, I just found it, like I said, I just found it a little bit jumpy. I am definitely looking forward to getting back to the larger Marvel Saga story, which we will do in two more digests with Marvel Saga issue 23. It's called the Scarab. It's some kind of world-destroying weapon. It's designed to protect its host. Sometimes it does what you want, and sometimes it doesn't. Trailer Tuesday. Taking a look at some trailers I've seen over the past couple weeks that I want to give some thought to. Starting off with Still, a Michael J. Fox movie. So this is coming to Apple TV on May 12th. Directed by Davis Guggenheim, who did An Inconvenient Truth and Waiting for Superman and other things. So this is all about the life of Michael J. Fox, but it's going to incorporate uh, documentary, archival, and scripted elements to basically recount his life and his uh, you know journey from an undersized kid from a Canadian army base to stardom in 1980s Hollywood and beyond. The trailer looks really great, and you can see how, you know, obviously they're going to show TV and movie footage, but then what they do is they show family videos and private videos, but then they it seems like they connect it with, uh, you know, someone standing in as Michael J. Fox as he, for instance, discovers that he is Parkinson one day while he's in bed. Um, and I, I don't know, just the way the trailer played out. I mean, it really is like a movie of his life. Um, this is, um, they're calling this a, 
account of Fox's public life alongside his never-before-seen private journey, including the years that followed his diagnosis at 29 with Parkinson's disease. I did. I tweeted out that this is probably going to be both inspiring and heartbreaking because I grew up with Michael J. Fox, as did most people in my generation. He was a character on Family Ties that, you know, as obnoxious as he was, he was just someone that I really dug. And, you know, Family Ties, Back to the Future, Teen Wolf, Secret of My Success. Uh, I love Bright Lights, Big City, Doc Hollywood, For Love or Money, The American President, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Spin City. I mean, he's just had such an amazing career and certainly uh, a career post um, diagnosis and a champion for his cause. And I, I watched this trailer and I, I just well up because, um, he was, uh, I don't know if he was a hero, but he definitely was someone that was there for me in, in those early stages. You know, there are certain movies, certain TV shows, certain actors, Robin Williams was definitely that way you know, that they seemed like they would always be there and they would just make you feel so good uh, when you watch them. And um, I'm really looking forward to to that documentary. Um, I got to watch the Blue Beetle trailer, as I'm sure most of you have. And I was, I gotta say, I'm really kind of blown away by what I saw. Is it original? No. You know, it's not, no, it's not original, right? It's Spider-Man meets Iron Man meets the Power Rangers mixed with the family dynamics of Ms. Marvel. Um, do I really see Susan Sarandon as a villain? Eh, I don't know. And it probably is going to fit more along with how Shazam played out. But just something about it got me, you know? The music, the the graphics really seemed to, be well thought out and uh, looked pretty good for a trailer. Um, Sholo Maraduena, you know, if they allow him to do the motion capture and to do some of the stunts, it makes sense. Given all of his years on Cobra Kai, I think he's a good fit. Uh, George Lopez is fun. Seeing the other parts of the Blue Beetle lore, I love that it's fully Latinx, right? Like the director and the the, the actors and the character. I mean... I, I don't know. Something about it really worked for me. So I'm looking forward to that. That comes out August 18th. And then they released the Marvels trailer. That That's going to be out in November. And after I saw, saw that trailer, I thought, oh, all those move, all those stories about how Marvels is seeming to, Marvel is seeming to like rush out a lot of product through these FX studios and they're getting a lot of blowback by visual artists, you know, that, that are saying that it, they're expecting too much, they're demanding too much in a short amount of time. And of course, there's, you know, the controversy of letting Victoria Alonza go. Um, she was the Marvel and Disney exec in charge of all that. Like, I look at this trailer and I go, you know what? I believe the VX artists. There's just something about this trailer that felt very fake. And I, again, I know it's a trailer you shouldn't judge, but you think with all of the money that they have, they would want to put out the best product right away, especially in this climate of story after story of them getting, you know, dragged through the mud based on their visual effects. So 
that trailer, both story-wise and um, just the effect of it, really didn't mean anything for me. Um, so I saw a trailer for John Leguizamo hosting Leguizamo Does America from MSNBC Films. This is a, a six-part series from NBC Studios. Uh, let's see. This is this already came out on April 16th. Um, I had this in my notes for a while. So it's John Leguizamo traveling across the country to celebrate the rich and diverse Latino cultures in six different destinations, exploring food, politics, music, and everything in between. So he's going to Miami, Chicago, Puerto Rico, D.C., New York City, and L.A., and it's exactly what they said. It's it's uh, exploration and an examination of Latinx uh, heritage uh, and culture, not just Puerto Rican, but Cuban and Dominican and, and you know, as many as he's going to cover. There are interviews with George Lopez, Michael Pena, Gina Torres. I'm a huge fan of John Leguizamo, warts and all, like all the controversies and all. Um, he's someone who has been in the game since the 80s. When I looked him up, he's 62 years old. 62. That just doesn't seem possible, right? Latino, we age slowly to begin with, but I was just amazed by that. Um, he's been in TV. He's been in movies. He's been in theater. You know, he had major off-Broadway and Broadway one-man shows that were televised on HBO when he was in his late 20s, early 30s. Um, and that's a huge feat, right? Like a one-man show. I can remember as a kid watching, um, well, I, I guess I was like somewhere in my late teens, watching him on HBO with my mom, watching him talk about all of, you know, doing all these characters, talking about very, uh, you know, Hispanic ideas and cultural things, hearing my mom laugh at phrases or lingo that I didn't understand at the time, but it meant something to her and it meant something to the audience as well because, you know, they understood it on a fundamental level. So um, anything that he does, I'm going to pay attention to it because he's been one of those voices that has been around for a long, long, long time. Completely loved him in Romeo and Juliet. Um, yeah, so um, really excited to watch that miniseries. And then uh, this comes as a recommendation from Shane on CGS, Daryl in Washington, and Eric, my co-host on uh, The Legion Project. Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek on Amazon, which ran for 11 episodes. I believe they're already out. And it was narrated by Gates McFadden. And every episode is on a different Star Trek topic, like the original series, the animated series, all the stuff that didn't get produced in the 70s, the movies, TNG through Enterprise, the ships, etc. And it's just a bunch of interviews, of course, uh, from actors and creators and behind-the-scenes people. But it, the trailer seemed to focus on a lot of the negative stuff or the stuff that went wrong. So that could be fun for, for those of you who maybe want to dig into Star Trek history. And, uh, yeah, so I, of course I'm going to love that. And then totally stumbled across this. I didn't know this was coming. True Detective Season 4 Night Country on HBO. Well, Max, I guess it's called now. Um, this is the fourth season of True Detective. I loved the first season. 
with Woody Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey. That first season is just some of the greatest television. And, um, you know, the other seasons were very hit and miss. But this one looks like it could be interesting. So we have Jodie Foster and Callie Race as they investigate the disappearance of six men from a research station in Alaska, just as we get the last sunset before the long night. When you watch the trailer, uh, it seems to be emulating some of the things that that they did in season one, that Jodie Foster is doing like an interview and she's recounting the events. And there were a few images of uh, designs and things that were like, it just said, oh, this feels like they could be picking up on some things that were going on in season one. So uh, totally excited for that. Uh, Some new True Detective. Again, I don't know if it's going to capture what they did in season one, but I'm invested. I'll be there. Uh, I think it's a unique series, and my hope is that it is um, worthy of the name, worthy of the name True Detective. So that'll be out sometime later this year. Okay, there you go. Just a few things that I've seen that I wanted to mention here on the Digest, and I'm sure as I see more, especially as we ramp up for the summer, I will continue to compile other trailers Uh, Again, I don't always like to talk about trailers. I certainly don't want to give like, you know, 30 minutes for one trailer. This is the way I like it, like just short and sweet. And, uh, you know, if you don't, if you didn't know about some of the documentaries or the little mini series, that's great. Then you can go check them out. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday for the week of April 26th. That's all I'll be doing for this Wednesday segment. And as I was going through my recommendations, I noticed a trend. Apparently this week, we have a heck of a lot of comics based around music. I thought that was actually kind of great because, um, you know, to try to show music in comics is always interesting it may not always be successful, but as I was going through the list and, and noticing uh, how many people are making the attempt, uh, I said, well, I guess that's what I'm going to feature this week. So starting off with NBM, Queen in Comics, hardcover for $27.99 by Emmanuel Marie and Sophie Blitman. This is the comic book biography of the music group Queen. Brian May, Roger Taylor, Freddie Mercury, one of the greatest rock bands in the world, discover the great stories and little secrets surrounding the legend. So it's their origin story in comic book form. And then from Image, we have Deep Cuts, one of six, for $5.99. This will be six issues, all double length. And this is by Kyle Higgins, Joe Clark, Danilo Beruth, and Chris Bruner. New Orleans, 1917, in the city's bustling red-light district, a young clarinet player lands a job with his hero, but he'll soon discover there's more to the music business than playing the right notes. A story of struggle, joy, and hope through the history of jazz. 
And then from Literati Press, we have Silence, track one of five by Devin Kraft for $4.99. In this rock and roll mythology mashup, Joanna Jones returns to her hometown of Anthem, a down-on-its-luck shipping town, to discover that her father's ship has gone missing. She, she ends up aboard a yellow submarine named the Heart of Gold, headed directly into Hades' hexagon to find the missing crew, accompanied by her childhood best friend, a rich young addict, and a punk legend. And then finally from Humanoids, Black Cat Social Club trade paperback, $19.99 by Christopher Painter and Bob Quinn. The story of three punk rock witches, Alice, Hazel, and Maggie, who cast spells with their songs to battle corporate demon jerks, defeat rival witch bands, save the world, and get to the next gig. If you've ever wished Josie and the Pussycats had more demons, or Buffy was fronting a three-piece rock band, you found your next favorite book in Black Cat Social Club. I think there might have even been at least one or two more, but those were the ones that, that definitely stood out to me as I was looking at the list. Two more recommendations here from University Press of Mississippi. We have Comics Art in China softcover for $30. In the most comprehensive and authoritative source on the subject, Comics Art in China covers almost all comics art forms in mainland China, providing the history from the 19th century to the present, as well as, as, well as perspectives on both the industry and the art form by John Lent and Zhu Ying. And from Dawn of DC, Green Arrow, One of Six, by Joshua Williamson, art by Sean Izoxi. The Emerald Archer is lost, and it will take Oliver Queen's whole family to find him. But dangerous forces are determined to keep them apart at any cost. Spinning out of Dark Crisis, Green Arrow uh, is an action-packed adventure across the DCU that sets the stage for major stories in 2023, $3.99. And there's a really great Frank Cho alternate cover for Black Canary. So there you go. Those are your recommendations. However, we're going to get some more Dawn of DC news in Friday's segment. So today we start our 25th year of doing this show. My gratefulness surpassed only by my surprise. My surprise at its longevity. How in the world did we last so long? Let's be honest, virtually anyone could do what I do, which is to basically say three things. You did what? Come on out. We'll be right back. <laughs> you practice that and you'll be hosting your own show in no time. Oh, there is one other thing that brings success. Luck. Lots of it and surround yourself with smart, talented people who know a heck of a lot more about television than I do. Look, I've been blessed through these 25 years to have people of enormous talent and drive producing a show of constant challenges which can't be saved day to day by simply booking a big-name celebrity. You see, we don't have any on our show. No, just regular folks of no fame, little if any wealth, and very little influence. Folks just taking a moment, which they rarely if ever get, to let the world know something about what they are thinking, 
or feeling or doing. Admittedly, it's often crazy or outside the norm of accepted behavior, but what I've learned over our quarter century of shows is that deep down, we are all alike. Some of us just dress better or had a better education or better luck in the gene pool of parents. I'll say it again. Deep down, we are all the same. We all want to be happy. We cry when we're hurt. We're angry when we've been mistreated. And to be liked, accepted, and respected, not to mention loved, is the greatest gift of all. Yes, we're all alike. Know this. There's never been a moment in the 25 years of doing this show that I ever thought I was better than the people who appear on our stage. I'm not better, only luckier. So thanks for the 25 years. We've signed on to do a whole bunch more. And as long as I stay healthy, we will. And on that note, take care of yourself and each other. Let's wrap up this week's Digest with some more news coming out of DC Comics and the Dawn of DC initiative. We have some new titles, and we just heard some news this week that a few other titles are being expanded. For instance, in the New Comics Wednesday segment, I mentioned that the first issue of Green Arrow was released this week. Well, we also got the news that the title is going to be expanded to 12 issues. And a lot of this has to do with early support, maybe some early promotion, early pre-order numbers, perhaps. In many ways, I think this was DC's idea, you know, to release a lot of these titles just as miniseries, just to see if there would be support. And it appears, it appears that... Green Arrow will be getting that support. And in those new issues, there will be a new character entitled Troublemaker. And then we just had Blue Beetle Graduation Day wrapping up that miniseries of six issues, wrapping up this week. And that series is moving into, or that miniseries is moving into a full series. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to issue number one or issue number seven, but the creative team will be back. Josh Tru- Truillo, artist Adrian Gutierrez, colorist Will Quintana, letterer Lucas Gattoni. The new series will be released in September, and the first arc will be entitled Scarab War, and it'll pick up with Jaime living in Palmera City, training with alien refugees, Yellow Beetle, Green Beetle, and it will continue to feature Ted Cord and his uh, sister, Victoria, the CEO of Cord Industries. The series will begin after the movie is released. The movie comes in August. The, the new book comes out in September. And that's where Victoria Cord will first appear in the movie. She was created for the movie. So was this fictional city of Palmera City. And the idea was to give Blue Beetle his own fictional town. Instead of a real world, uh, I, uh, I guess it was El Paso, Texas, they're going to give him 
you know, his own Gotham, his own metropolis. So you can see how the movies and the TV um, are supporting each other or how one is influencing the other, I guess you could say. But it probably also speaks to the popularity of the character, maybe the popularity of that Graduation Day miniseries. And it's not the first series that Jaime has had. I think this is like the third or fourth volume. So again, I think that that initiative of putting out these titles as miniseries, trying to garner some interest, it's really working. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that it is. Uh, we have some new Titans comics coming out. Teen Titans by Mark Wade and Emanuela Lupicino is going to be uh, featuring the original Teen Titans team spinning off of World's Finest, and it will be called World's Finest Teen Titans. It will be released in July, and it features the Fab Five of Robin, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Speedy, but also Bumblebee and Mal Duncan. So once again, it's reflecting later Teen Titans stories, you know, those late 70s Bronze Age stories. And they are going to answer the call for help from kids worldwide and deal with celebrity status. And along the way, uh, there will be surprising secrets about who each of the Titans really are. And uh, longtime readers will be stunned by untold revelations. The covers are really great on this. Uh, I love that it's matching that world's finest energy. And this is probably more what I wanted from a Titans title than the Titans title that is being done by Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott. Not that I, I'm not excited for that, but I feel like this is the energy I wanted. And then we have another Titans book called Tales of the Titans, a four-issue miniseries spotlighting Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy, and Troya, they say here, or Donna Troy, I guess it should be. Uh, this is, like I said, four issues spinning out of the Titans series, and it'll feature different creative teams on all of those characters. The covers are by Nicola Scott, and they pay homage to the original George Perez covers for that original miniseries in the 80s. So you have Starfire by Shannon Hale and Dean Hale and Javier Rodriguez. I'm excited about that. A Raven Story by Teeny Howard and Eleonora Carlini. Steve Orlando and Kath Lobo will be doing the Donna Troy segment, and for Beast Boy, we have Andrew Constant, Ted Brandt, and Roe Steen. Now, this might seem a little bit of overkill for the franchise. We now have four Titans-related titles, not including Nightwing. And we have so we have Cyborg, we have Titans, we have Teen Titans, and we have Tales of the Titans. Now, of those, I think Titans is the only series. Maybe Teen Titans is a series, too. I can't... I don't remember. Um, but that seems like, hmm, you know, like, careful, don't overdo it. But again, maybe the numbers will speak to something. And like, if Mark Wade's book is a miniseries, maybe that will expand into a series. I certainly think a modern retelling of the original Teen Titans could work and probably would sell a lot better than all of the other 
Teen Titans series that we've been getting. So, yeah, a little bit overload of Teen Titans, but maybe it'll work. Let's just hope they don't release all four uh, all in one week, because I hate when they do that. Not that it matters too much to me because I pre-order, but I feel like you're competing with yourself for all the Wednesday Warriors out there who go in and they're like, okay, now I'm going to pick up four Titans titles and I have no more money for anything else. Anyway, all right, so we also are going to get a Power Girl series and a Fire and Ice Welcome to Smallville miniseries. Both of these will ship in September. September is going to be a real busy month, uh, and they are spinning out of the pages of the Power Girl special available in May, May 30th. So Power Girl will be continued to be written by Leah Williams, and the series will be uh, by artist Eduardo Pansica. And this takes place after Night Terrors. A long dormant Kryptonian threat has returned to take down Superman and his family. Who could possibly stop it? Well, according to Superman, it's Power Girl. You won't want to miss this road trip race against time as Paige reconnects with her roots and strives to save her newfound family. Blech, Paige. I, I don't... I mean, I get renaming her, but, you know, Karen is certainly a dangerous name these days, but it means something because her name is Kara, right? And if you're not just going to call her Kara... Page, you call her Page because her initials are PG, Page, Page. I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, in Fire and Ice, Welcome to Smallville. Superman sends the former Justice Leaguers to Smallville in order to lie low following their extremely public and utterly disastrous mission in Baltimore, and in doing so, doom them to a fate worse than death, namely irrelevance. And while Ice finds herself drawn to the quiet life, Fire will do just about anything to get the hell out of Dodge and back into the superhero circuit, including challenging the DC Universe's biggest villains to a knockdown, dragout, uh, live-streamed brawl in the streets of Smallville. This is by Joanna Starr, Natasha Bustos, and Tamara Bonvillain, and letterer Marr. Uh, seems like, you know, that whole brawl thing is right in line with Joanne Starr's writing because she's writing The Gimmick, which I talked about and reviewed, and that's a wrestling comic, and she comes from kind of the wrestling world, so I can see where that connection is there. Having a Power Girl series is real interesting. You know, we don't have a Supergirl series right now, but she's had enough series in the past, and certainly the last one she had by Tom King is going to be hard to top. So I can see giving Power Girl her own series as a way to give, you know, a character that we hadn't, haven't really focused on in a while. Same thing with Fire and Ice. I think that's one of the things that Dawn of DC is doing well. And if we're keeping track, we are upwards to, I don't know, I, th I think it's like 20-some new titles, uh, maybe 30 altogether under the umbrella. So we have Superman, Adventures of Superman, John Kent, Doom Patrol, Superboy, Man of Tomorrow, Green Arrow, Shazam, Green Lantern, Spirit World, Brave and the Bold, Cyborg, Titans, Vigil, City Boy, Power Girl, Steelworks, Penguin, Hawkgirl, uh, now we got Blue Beetle, Teen Titans, Tales of the Teen Titans, 
Power Girl and Fire and Ice. That's 22 or 21. I think I said Power Girl twice. Uh, and then we, uh, we're going to get some new, we're going to get new Flash and Wonder Woman titles. So there you go. Almost 25 new titles. Uh, I have to imagine we might be getting an Aquaman series based on Lazarus Planet. We'll see. And then other titles that are being roped into the Dawn of DC umbrella, that would be Action Comics, Catwoman, Nightwing, Harley Quinn, Batman with issue 90, uh, you know, you have all the free comic book day stuff. So yeah, it's upwards of almost 30 titles now. And again, I really appreciate the slow rollout. I think it makes sense. Um, you know, they were criticized for how they released the new 52, but it made sense because everything was starting out at number one. But in this instance, you get to slowly test out which issues you want to read and which you don't want to read, um, you know, either on the stands or as they show up on the app. So, um, I think it would be real telling to see how retailers are faring with this initiative and perhaps the biggest tell is going to come if Marvel does anything in response. If they do something within the next six months or year, that, that'll that show you that they were paying attention to what Dawn of DC was. So there you go. That is your Friday segment and that is your digest for this week. Send me some feedback, peter at thedailyrios.com. Go visit the Daily Rios website and Instagram. Go visit me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Uh, review me or give me some stars or some likes on your favorite podcast catcher. Send me some book club recommendations. Send me some promos. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 614 for Saturday, April 29th, 2023. Talk to you soon. Could you go get Peter for me so we can get married? Finally?